You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 314 of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And I'm Dan. And we are taking a break from our Thanksgiving to celebrate Thanksgiving with, uh, you know, the greatest, okay, not the greatest, second greatest Thanksgiving movie ever? It's fine to say it's the greatest. Dude, it is the greatest Thanksgiving horror movie ever, but uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles (laughs) is the Wait, you, you disagree that it's the greatest Thanksgiving Dude, horror? I, I, I will die on the hill that Thanksgiving is a great No. <laughs> no. I still haven't seen it. I will die on that hill. No. It is, it it is, is tr- 70 minutes of pure trash, and I love it so much. It can be a really fun 70 minutes of pure trash. Blood Rage is not trash. trash. <laughs> Blood, Blood Rage is too classy to be trashy. Exactly. It, yes. it is more classy than Thanksgiving. Oh, yes, because people drink wine in this movie. I ass <laughs> is more classy, Mom especially. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I'd also like to point out uh, that uh, this is episode three one four. It is indeed, which is also the uh, the number for pie, <laughs> uh, and also pie is what you eat on Thanksgiving. Um, it, so it's yeah, it's cranberry pie. <laughs> it's it's almost like you could say that fate led us to this moment it's almost like uh, a shooting star led us directly into this episode for us to uh find meaning where there is none just like that stupid um, fucking uh shooting star birthmark in cloud atlas uh yeah this is okay. <laughs> look you're the one who opened that up uh That's yeah true. we we are we're, we're talking about blood rage tonight and i am so excited I don't want to oversell this movie. I really don't want to oversell it. But also, guys, guys, I greatest love, movie ever made. I fucking love this movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. Uh, it's not as good probably. as what I think it is, but I think that it is amazing, and so therefore, it is exactly as good as I think it is. I mean, we're not going to get to it yet, but I will say this has one of the best endings I've seen in this type of horror movie ever. Dude, we we're okay. So let me go ahead and give the spoiler wall right now. We are going to spoil this movie. If you have never seen Blood Rage, do yourself a favor and go watch it right now. Like just stop whatever you're doing, unless you're driving, in which case get to where you need to go, and then uh <laughs> ignore whatever responsibilities you have and watch Blood Rage. It is Oh my god, it's so good. Um and yep. and on Tubi. It's on Tubi. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's also um, a, a version of it on YouTube that I will. Arrow, Arrow also, also has it if you have that service. It, it's, on, it's on Arrow. There's also oh, yeah, yeah. the uh, the Blu-ray is available on Amazon. I had, when I bought it for like 14 bucks. I don't know if it still is at that price. 
Um, but but yeah, if you have if you've never seen Blood Rage, we are going to get into spoilers. The vast majority of the movie, it doesn't matter whether or not we spoil it because much like pieces, it's exactly what you think it is. However, it's also not at all what you think it is. <laughs> we have a, we have you, a whole episode. You can watch it. What I mean by that is you can watch it at its surface level and it is and it is exactly what you think it is. It is just a, a slasher movie. I mean, the, the title in the opening credits uh, is slasher. So <laughs> yeah. it's it is just as generic as one might think that it is. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to get into a little bit of that when we start uh, actually getting to our analysis of it. But you can watch the entire movie as just like a fun you know, background campy Thanksgiving horror slasher movie and, and it's fine and like not, not feel like you're actually missing anything. And I say this as someone who absolutely adores this movie and have watched it every single year for the last six years, I think. But the ending, the only reason that I can remember the ending is because like the last four times that I've watched it, I kept forgetting the ending until it actually got there like th- there's one very specific thing the most like oh my god moment of the ending that i keep forgetting about um but i had forgotten about it so many times that now it is ingrained in my mind and i can't think about this movie without immediately thinking of the ending when we get there we will give a major spoiler warning so if you don't care about some spoilers um you can still probably listen to most of this episode but when we get to the end and again, this is coming from someone that a few episodes ago when I was like, eh, can the movie really be spoiled? Yep. This movie, you need to experience the ending in its raw emotion rather than us telling you what happens. <laughs> so before we get to that specific talking point, we'll send up another huge spoiler wall. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be getting into this. Um, yeah, and also uh, just one other thing, just one other like prior kind of thing to mention yes. up front is that this is the first time I believe that you and I, Nathan, have re-reviewed a movie. This is Blood Rage reheated for us. This is the Blood Rage <laughs> leftovers. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we covered this three years ago, which it doesn't seem like it was that long at all. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. We've, but yeah, we've back covered... in 2018, when when I was first like within the first few months of the podcast that I was on here. We covered this movie and much like the first time that we covered it it was also uh an interrupter of our theme we covered it during <laughs> our noir vember and we're yeah, like, right. all right we, we, we got to do blood rage and this time we're doing hanksgivings like what we got to do blood rage um yeah we've covered other movies multiple times but it's been less of a re-review and more of a all right we've talked about this before but we're talking about it again because whatever a, a different guest or just because we fucking wanted we to i can't think of any movie we've ever covered multiple times in like the same format the only other one i can think of is emrick's godzilla where we did king of the marchers and then we did much to my chagrin uh, a full review of the movie a few months later <laughs> there have been other movies we might have talked about them at different levels but like uh we've covered the shining multiple times you just weren't on one of those episodes. Oh yeah, that's right. I didn't cover this time. Right. We've covered, um, we have covered evil dead in its various forms a number of times. Um, there've been other movies. I want to say 
we kind of covered the fog multiple times because we did like an actual review of the fog and then we kept talking about the fog when we were talking about the fog remake so there, there have been a number of movies that have had multiple appearances or you know guest spots on the podcast but yeah this yeah, is the first time we've had two full independent fully dedicated episodes to one movie though <laughs> it's always been some kind of spin on it right and three years feels like an appropriate amount of time to say you know what we're gonna do another full episode on it um, but yeah, we, we have covered it before. And if you've listened to us before, we're probably going to say a lot of the same things, uh, just with more energy this time. And if you're new to video monsters, then, uh, after you listen to this one, you should go back and listen to our first coverage of it and play it on like, you know, one and a half speed so that it feels like the same level of energy. All right. Uh, yeah, we were, still, I was definitely still pretty green as a podcaster <laughs> at that point. You could tell there's we we also didn't go into nearly as much depth and yeah okay enough about that dan you have not seen blood rage prior to this first viewing correct correct so before you know before we get into all of the in-depth stuff what are your like surface level immediate reactions to uh to, to blood rage uh it's it's an interesting film. I will. <laughs> um, it it at once feels generic, but yet not. <laughs> Which I know it, it's not the best way to phrase that, but I mean, it's a setup you've seen before, kinda. I mean, the the twin brothers thing is you know, oh, I'm trying to say you know, kind of reminiscent almost of Basket Case, where there's the good twin <laughs> and the bad twin. Um, but this is not basket case by any means but then it's also just a you know there's a slasher in this little cul-de-sac neighborhood I never really got a good I never really figured out how this neighborhood was laid out because they all seem to be within walking distance of each other's houses (laughs) with like a tennis court and a pool and stuff right nearby it's it's i I was confused the first it's supposed to be an apartment complex because they have that hilarious sign that is obviously spray painted with stencils that says shadow woods (laughs) apartments yeah yeah it's it's an apartment Uh, complex but it's a florida in the early 80s apartment complex to where (laughs) everything is just like single uh single level so it's somewhere between like an apartment complex and a trailer park but like it, I, I don't mean that as like a like trashy version, but just a all you had to say was Florida apartment complex. It is a Florida apartment complex and uh, actually, actually filmed in Florida. It is both uh, set at and filmed in Jacksonville. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Wh- stuff. So while you watch it, you, you've got that feeling that you've seen this movie before, but you haven't. <laughs> There's. There's some unique twists on this film that kind of separate it from other other films of this time, even with the ger- generic slasher movie title <laughs> that it was blessed with, I guess, at one point. Um, what, much like many horror movies in the 80s, it was like filmed and not released for a couple years. Title changed like three times. So... Yeah, mm. it was shot in 83, released in 87. The working title when they were making it was Complex. The <laughs> uh, title that was like it was actually released as um, was Slasher. 
Then there was a like made for TV re-release that cut out a lot of gore, but then added in mm-hmm. uh, a few. Or is the VHS? To, cut, yeah, the, the, yeah, the the VHS uh, home video release. Yeah. Um, so there was that release that cut out some of the gore, but then added in some scenes to bring that runtime back up. And that one was Nightmare at Shadow Woods. And I still don't know where exactly the Blood Rage title came from, but uh, it's it, it's it's my favorite. Nightmare at Shadow Woods is probably my second favorite, but yeah, complex and slasher. It's just like, can, can you get any more generic with your slasher <laughs> movie titles that take place in a complex? Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have just named it Slasher Complex. <laughs> that, least, that actually, yeah, combine that those two. That's perfect. The psychological component that is actually going on in this film. So yeah, that that totally would have worked. I, I would have been on board yeah. for that. That actually might be the best the best version of this title. It is, or the best title that it could have had. And good lord, I, I can't. Speak I mean, today they, they could have gone with complex slasher, but it's <laughs> not. But it yeah. is. Mm. Eric, yeah. you uh, yes, you have seen this movie before. But this was your I, second time watching it? Yes. Yes. But my, only my second time. I don't watch it annually because uh, I don't rewatch movies that often. Dude. Um, you need to. So, same question to Dan. Before we get into all of our details, before <laughs> yes. going into all of the in depth stuff, what was it like for you the second time around? Um, yeah. So, the I have to admit, because I'm a jaded cynical person i was kind of like do i really want to watch i've got all these tom hanks movies i want to watch i've got to catch up on a bunch of movies for this year do i really want to watch blood rage again yes yes Uh, you do and so i was just kind of like dragging my feet a little bit with it but i mean i watched dune and i was like i've got some time to kill uh (laughs) before i have to go pick up the kids from school i'm gonna pop in blood rage and go ahead and get this over with because uh, it's only an hour and 22 minutes, so it's not like it's a difficult thing, especially after watching something as immense as Dude. It was It's, it's a nice little palate cleanser. <laughs> um, so I started watching it, and I'm like, oh yeah, this movie is kind of amazing. Um, and I actually, I think my appreciation for it has only grown with this rewatch. Like, I, you know, if you go back and listen to our other episode, I, I keep talking about how, like, yeah, it's kind of campy and goofy and... And all that. And it definitely is. I don't want to say that this is like a an impeccably made film with like excellent performances and all that. But at the same time, like, I think it's a little bit better than it initially seems the first time around. Um, like, I think from a craft level and from a performance level, even though it doesn't always kind of cohere, um, that kind of adds to the the appeal of this movie for me. Like, the tone set in this movie is so unlike any other movie I've ever seen that it kind of exists in this own, in its own little bubble. Mm. Um, there's just, there's nothing quite like it. Uh, and yeah, and I loved it. I, I had a great time with it. And there are a couple things that we did not discuss last time or we didn't discuss in depth the last time that I really want to dig into today. Yeah. Uh, I honestly, I was a little worried. Um, when, when we had the scheduled, I was like, ah, man, are we just going to end up saying the exact same things? And I was a little worried about that. Rewatching it, it was like, okay, there are some things that we are definitely going to talk about because like my main thesis with the movie not only still holds, but it actually is strengthened every time that I watch it. But there's so many other things that I'm like, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to have enough to talk about. 
All right. So, what about you, Nathan? Uh, so I love Blood Rage so much. <laughs> you do so much. This is like news to me. Blood Rage is like my uh, pecan like pie kind of, movie of you would movies. Enjoy. <laughs> I, I know it seems so out of my wheelhouse, um, except for the fact that uh, it is exactly my wheelhouse and everything that I love about movies. You literally have the same M.C. Escher picture in your house <laughs> that they have in uh, in uh, what's his name? One of the guys in the office in this movie. I mean, not because of this movie. I just also happen to enjoy it. You just Escher. happen to have it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you did send me a screenshot of um, the, the yeah, apartment complex. We don't manager. know this, but you know, Nathan really has like a replica of the apartment <laughs> complex manager's <laughs> office somewhere in his house. That's, that's what's happening behind this wall. This is actually like yeah. one of those uh, like old haunted mansion things where the bookcase flips around and on the other side, you got to pick the, the right game. You got to pick the blood rage board game because there is a board game called blood rage. If you pull it out, then that opens up the facade. <laughs> <laughs> of the bookshelf into the, uh, the I, Blood Rage office. I so, so wish that the Blood Rage board game was about this movie. It uh, is definitely not. Yeah, I saw something because I was trying to look up stuff about this movie on YouTube. And whenever I just typed in Blood Rage, it would pull up a bunch of board game stuff. And I'm like, wait, there's a Blood Rage board game? And it's like, oh, no, it's like a <laughs> it's, fantasy kind of thing. Like yeah, Dungeons no, and Dragons looking. It is not even remotely the same. Uh, however, there is a Friday the 13th board game that you could totally uh, get and then just, you know, retheme it a little bit as Blood Rage and, you know, replace Jason Voorhees with one of the twins. Put a, put a Terry Todd mask on Jason. Yeah. Yeah, you have to get two identical. You have to buy the game twice so you can get identical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then just, just like make one a little shaggier. Yeah, you just change the wig. That's uh, that's all you need to do. Um, yeah, I I absolutely adore Blood Rage. Um, I, I said this on the last episode, but the first time that I heard about it, my wife had actually said, um, this was again like six years ago, maybe, but she saw something online from um, I I think that it was in Nashville. Uh, I, I think that um, one of like the indie movie theaters in Nashville was doing a screening of Blood Rage, and she saw that, that they were doing that. And was like, "Hey, this looks like something that you would enjoy." It's like, "Oh my god, yes, it looks exactly like something that I would enjoy." But I don't feel like driving to Nashville to see it. Um, and then, like a few days later, Knoxville Horror Film Fest also posted something about Blood Rage, and and I was like, "Oh my god, okay." So my wife said, "Hey, here's a movie that I think that you would enjoy based off of the things that you enjoy." And then Knox Horror Fest, which is a horror film festival that I absolutely love, was like, here is a movie. What? I know, right? So, uh, so yeah, uh, because of those two recommendations, I was like, all right, I, I have to check it out right now. And I watched it, and it was so much fun, and it was so campy, and I loved it for all of the reasons that I love those campy, trashy movies like Pieces. Yes, it's nothing like it, but it's that same kind of, like, you know, on the surface, just bad acting filled with horror tropes, just lots of super fake blood and, um, you know, a, lot of just, a weird kind of non sequitur things <laughs> going on. <laughs> a lot of non sequitur, a lot of continuity errors. So like all of these kinds of just, again, just super trashy, bad movies. When I watched it the first time was like, oh my God, this movie is hilarious and I love it. And, and it's just dumb and and I have to watch it every single year and I have 
and uh, Eric and I covered it, I want to say, only the second or third time that I watched it. And so I've watched it, again, more times than that since then. And every time that I watch Blood Rage, I only find more and more and more that I love about it. Especially because... Guys, this might be a long episode. Uh, Especially because before I watch Blood Rage, I do try to watch at least one of John Grismer's other films. Um, And like we talked about on the last episode, he's done three he wrote The Bride, he wrote and directed Scalpel, and then he directed Blood Rage. And that's it. Like, that is his entire filmography. And each of those movies are super short. I want to say that, I, I want to say that The Bride is under 80 minutes, maybe. Like, it, it might only be like 75, question mark? Um, oh, no, it's, uh, it, it's 85. So uh, The Bride is an hour and 25 minutes, and Scalpel is an hour and 35 minutes. So like they're all super short. Um, and so, you know, I can get almost all three of those movies in the same amount of time that it took me to watch cloud Atlas. So whenever I am about to watch blood rage, I always want to watch at least one of his other films. If I, if I'm short on time, uh, I go with scalpel because it is the infinitely superior movie. And, uh, in the three of his films, it might be the best. It's not my favorite because obviously blood rage is my favorite, but uh-huh. scalpel might be the best made of the three. Um, like it, it oh my just God, scalpel has max mom in it. Who? What? Max mom Ma- from it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant like M a X, like, like max von Sydow, oh, like max mom. Max mom. And I was like, who the f*** is Max Mom? <laughs> is, that, is that like some Romanian dude that I've never heard of? <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, Sandy Martin. She plays Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia's mom. <laughs> that, that's, that's an even more complicated way to say that. Or a, a, an it, even less uh, clear way, version of that. Yep. I'm, I'm following yeah. you now. Um, anywho. Uh, rewatching his other movies always just adds so much more to blood rage. Um, and, and, and yeah, watching it this time, I, I absolutely adored it again. Uh-huh. I, I watched it a few days ago. I watched most of it with commentary. Uh, and then I might watch it again. So that would be one, two, three, four. I might watch it four times this week is how much I love blood rage. Yeah, that's insane. I, you're, you're a crazy person. That is true. It's a good movie, though. <laughs> I am a crazy you're person. Gonna be, you're going to be eating leftovers in front of the fridge. Before. <laughs> <laughs> you should get one of those refrigerators that have like a TV in them. I am going to be... Su- just watch Blood Rage while you sit on the floor eating your Thanksgiving leftovers. I'm going to be scrubbing the oven with my entire glass full of wine and just like obsessing about like but what did it mean when the toy assault rifle was on terry what did what did it mean when it disappeared i yeah i'm gonna be uh all up in this movie um listen i have to i have to interrupt you for one second just because i'm looking at the cast list of scalpel uh, i don't know if you knew this or not but i was looking at it earlier too um I, I did not know that you were looking at you it. Did, I know it's weird. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's somebody in this uh, cast, and his name is Larry Quackenbush. <laughs> uh, that name is familiar to me. I just wanted to make sure everyone knew he doesn't have a picture on IMDb. 
but he plays Keith Jarvie in Scalpel. Um, but yeah, his last name is Quackenbush. Yes, it is. Kind of like a duck in a bush, but with an E instead of an I. Yeah. <laughs> There's... I, feel I, just, I just need like you guys I've to know that this. name here in something else. What else has he done? Uh, uh, he was in Mutant. He was in. He was in for ladies only. It, everything happens Breaking to away me. The TV series seems like something that you might have watched. As Lawrence M. Quackenbush, the more <laughs> Lawrence M. Quackenbush is maybe the greatest name I've ever heard in my life. Like that is the classiest thing. I feel like uh, I've heard that name before, but well, I've not seen any of his uh, his films. I mean, I would just. According Love. to IMDb, Larry Quackenbush is an actor known for Night Shadows, 1984, False Face, 1977, oh. a.k.a. Scalpel, uh, a.k.a. The Girl in the Shadows, Woman in the Shadows, uh, and Hard Feelings, <clears throat> 1981. And I've, There's yeah. actually, a, if you just search for Quackenbush on IMDb, there are a surprising amount of Quackenbushes in the entertainment industry. It, they're like the, uh, they're just like propping up the inter- entertainment industry. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the lesser known Barrymore's of today's world. And that just sounds like Daffy Duck's porn name. Oh my God. One of them is named Corky Quackenbush. Okay. That sounds like Daffy Duck's <laughs> porn name. even better than Lawrence M. Okay. I recognize this woman, Karen Quackenbush. Maybe that's why Quack, she's law and order and all kinds of other stuff. Maybe that's why that name is familiar. It that just feels like that's a, if, you, if that's a name you see in the credits, you tend to be like, oh, that's a name. <laughs> that is a name. Oh, man. I I just I really want to just change like my online persona to be Corky Quackenbush. That's the <laughs> greatest name I've ever. That's so good. So oh, getting so back amazing. on track. Um, Let's let's start getting into it. Typically, at this point, we uh, give a summary, but we've already kind of given that summary with it's a Thanksgiving horror movie about twins and i guess we didn't actually do that so blood rage is one of the few thanksgiving horror movie one of the few thanksgiving movies and even within that subset of um of holiday films it is one of the very few thanksgiving horror movies and on its surface it is super trashy and campy and just a a standard 80s slasher flick but digging just a little bit deeper you will find so so much to overanalyze and a lot of it probably unintentional. This is not a passion project from John Grismer. This is not something that I feel was necessary, necessarily intentionally done. But based off of Grismer's earlier works, uh, especially um, especially Scalpel, I do think that there is a lot of the like Southern Gothic tone that is then infused into how the story plays out. So even though some of the deeper psychological meanings might not have been intentional, they are definitely, uh, definitely present. So if you have never seen blood rage, uh, video monsters just categorically recommends it. It is, it, it's so fucking good. Um, so yeah, we, we very strongly recommend it. And yes, I am speaking for Eric and Dan. And if they disagree, well, the official video monsters word is that we adore this movie. Uh, and so now go with that. Oh, the party line. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, we have always been in love with blood rage. <laughs> <laughs> My blood rages with love for the blood rage. So with all of that out of the way, once again, spoilers, let's start getting into this. Um, all right. 
uh dan let's let's start with you and let's let's start i i am sure that there are tons of things that you want to talk about there's a lot of stuff that we want to talk about but let's start with well the very beginning it's a very good place to start that opening what? scene i know right i think i just for the rest of this episode i just want to like react in shock to everything you're saying <laughs> what i need to i need to like work on my mark Wahlberg impression be like what no <laughs> no you, you got to go for more of the uh, keanu just whoa i can't do yeah i'm not i'm not that cool <laughs> anyway go on it'll, it'll sound more like you're slipping just like whoa uh yeah so so that opening scene what 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 are your thoughts on how this movie sets the stage because that was the only thing that you texted us when you were watching it was just damn this movie gets straight to it yeah um a this is one of the horniest movies i've ever seen <laughs> that ends up being like the most tantric film ever when it comes to sex <laughs> because i mean it, it just if i had watched this movie at 12 i would have been like i am gonna see so much sex in this movie based on the first scene <laughs> right yeah. everybody in that drive-in is fucking <laughs> everyone with the exception including the mom or about the to hippie is the only one that gets turned down, <laughs> um, which I, I I'm think I'm thinking something's being said there that only the hippie doesn't get sex, <laughs> but every everybody is fucking, um, so and they're so into it that like mom and at the time you don't know it but it's it's boyfriend, um, they're so like into making out that a they don't notice the interior light come on. In the back of the car. (laughs) They don't hear anything. They don't hear their kids getting out of the car. And again, that is such a wild turn where it's like, okay, these kids obviously don't want to watch mom get felt up by her boyfriend, so they're going to go run around the drive-in. Oh, nope, they're going to get an at like, they're going to get a hatchet out of the back of some guy's truck and then murder someone. Uh Uh-huh. I love that. I love how this not is why she couldn't leave the kids is. with a babysitter. <laughs> like, I feel like I feel like she had left the kids with a babysitter before, and something bad had happened. <laughs> so because it's like, nope, no, we're taking the kids with us. Trust me, we won't like what happens when we get home. <laughs> There's a crazy guy at the apartment complex. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's so <sighs> funny to think about it too, because it's like literally they're just like, oh well, mom's you know doing her thing again with their boyfriend and they yeah. just get up and they're like oh look an axe oh look <laughs> people having sex. let's let's <laughs> yeah. take this axe to the face of this guy having sex and it's not so just like bizarre. once to see what it's like like multiple times yeah like, <laughs> um i i still then, love the fact that when they're getting out like, when they're getting out of the back of the car one of the kids and i can't remember which one i i think that it's todd but i can't remember says very softly mom's at it again so yeah this is not the first time that their mother mm-hmm. brought them to the drive-in so that she could fuck in the front seat while they who knows what like what <laughs> what has been They're happening also watching, these kids uh, really they've heard some shit and seen some shit in their days in that drive-in they're watching a I mean, horror God, movie too. God forbid they go to the, the restroom and Ted Raimi tries to sell them <laughs> condoms. 
know. <laughs> I was gonna say that's that's how you know that this is this is such a horny movie is that Ted Raimi has is like just straight up like covered in condoms that he's selling. Uh, yeah. He's like because he's apparently like a condom merchant. In, yeah, apparently in Florida, like are condoms black market? Like yeah, you, shit, don't you don't get them before you go to the drive in. You just stop on the way. I I still want to. Uh, I I'd like to think that that scene was not shot for the movie. But it was just Ted Raimi just there selling condoms, and they're like, "Oh, sure, we'll just throw that into the movie." Yeah, Ted Raimi has a like, he like, has a really great story about how he got the role on the. If you he's got an interview on the uh, the Arrow Blu-ray where he talks about how like he lost his driver's license because he rear-ended a vehicle, and so he moved to New York to become an actor because in New York he didn't have to drive. Um, and his dad was like, "All right, you have a year." I'm going to let you live in New York for a year. And if that doesn't, and if you can't find a job as an actor, you're coming back and working for me. And he's like, cool. And then like, right as a year elapsed, he didn't get any jobs. And then finally, like two days after he told his dad, he was coming home. He got to, he got this role in blood rage. <laughs> so Black I, I and was his first role. The rainy dad is probably the most patient man on the planet. Oh, he has to be listening no, to knowing what, the, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can just imagine the shit Sam and Ted were up to, like, as kids. Like, they were probably the two hatchet boys, just <laughs> no, to that extent. They were the um, stinkers, judging uh, by Bruce Campbell's uh, autobiography. Yeah. yeah. Get the, um, the Raimi boys and the Campbell boys together, and that's just a recipe <laughs> for disaster. <laughs> so, and then, yeah, once and then once the murders actually happen, you get the laziest frame-up job ever like i'm just gonna wipe my hands on your face and hand you the hatchet and now he did it and everyone's like oh even though like 15 people are watching the exchange they're like oh no that kid must have done it look he's got the hatchet now look that kid has a bloody handprint on his face never mind the fact that his brother is covered in uh in what we assume is not cranberry sauce yeah. So uh, that's what he that's probably what he told everybody is he's like, that is cranberry sauce. <laughs> that's yeah. just blood on his face. This is cranberry sauce. Guys. I I want to highlight the fact that even though that scene was very heavily inspired by uh, by Halloween in terms of, you know, again, like the cinematography of uh, how the axe or the hatchet was framed um, and even with Todd standing there just like completely like almost comatose because of the shock of seeing his brother murder someone much in the same way that mike myers was you know just kind of standing there when his parents showed back up somehow and i know exactly how uh blood of rage that that opening kill scene feels so much more graphic than halloween and the reason for that oh, it is, is because of the <laughs> hatchet to the face like four yeah. or five times and and not just like a quick cutaway like you see that the hatchet coming down and then like you see blood splurting <laughs> like no they um they had you know well obviously the like prosthetics where uh, they had like the foam hatchet where it was cut out so it fit onto the face so like you saw mm. scenes of the hatchet in the dude's face and uh, at one point, the girl that's underneath him, who's like just trying to get him off of her because there's a guy getting murdered on top of her. She's like holding up his face perfectly for him to get another hatchet to the face. It is yeah. 
with, with as many it's horror movies as I've seen. Visceral. Yeah, it is one of the most just like, oh my God, scenes. And and maybe it's because unlike Halloween, you know that it's a kid. Like you see the kid pick up the hatchet. You see him looking at these people having sex. You see that look in his face of, <laughs> and like, I, I don't know. I think maybe that's part of why it feels so much more visceral is because you know that it's a kid beforehand rather than seeing something graphic and then a reveal of a what it was a kid oh my god somehow it's worse knowing on the front end yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um especially knowing that uh the reason why he is there and doing this is due to parental neglect like it is something that is a hundred percent avoidable um i don't know dude a kid that's gonna put a hatchet to someone else's face i don't think that that's avoidable i think that they're going to make that happen at some point regardless of how yeah well i mean i guess this particular gonna kill whether or not it was this night or another night it was gonna which to be fair i i do i find it interesting the way that this movie sets up like it, it implies that that's the only time harry kills until the seven years later, whatever it is, ten years. Is it just seven? It's ten, ten. years. Yeah, I was like ten seven years. Ten, right? Um, yeah. It, it implies that like he never he never killed again until the day that Todd escapes. Which you know maybe you just assume that he's smart and he's using that to cover mm-hmm. up. He's like, oh my god, I've been holding this in for so long. I finally have a chance to go wild. <laughs> <laughs> my theory on that is a tantric last year. Well, my my theory on that, and um, and I did mention this in the previous episode, uh, and not previous, but in our last uh, Blood Rage review, and I'm going to keep coming back to it, so I'll try not to go into too much depth right now. I'm, I'll I'll be tantric with this uh, aspect of the review. My uh, my thought as to like why he killed at the drive-in, and then not again until Todd escaped from the mental institution is because of um is because essentially of an oedipus complex where he's seeing his mother having yeah. sex and he's like nope i'm done with it and like there's so much rage because of what well, seeing uh, his mother with someone else a blood rage yes there is a blood rage and so the then movie. <laughs> that is the name of the movie and so uh so he kills then and because the mom is like so traumatized that one of her sons is a murderer at eight and then spends 10 years in a mental institution and because of like all of these other things i get the feeling that she was like very focused on terry for the next 10 years i feel like she was probably like terry is her life and so he didn't need to kill again because he got what he wanted of every single second. She was there with him. She wasn't neglecting him anymore. She wasn't abandoning him. Like she probably completely abandoned her entire life. And then at Thanksgiving, when she announces that she is engaged, that's what sets him off again. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think yeah. that that's what sets it off again is because of, again, some, some edible complex and, some arrested development and again things that i've talked about before and i'm going to talk about again but i want to make sure that this episode is not just me rehashing <laughs> the same main points uh as before i definitely think you're entirely correct uh i do think that so much of it is about the his feelings toward his mother and uh yeah. and also like the movie 
one of the things that the movie actually does pretty well is it is constantly kind of seeding this idea that Terry is very uncomfortable with sex in general. Mm-hmm. Um, where like he has a girlfriend, but it's clear that they've never had sex before, even though like because there's a scene later on where she's talking to Todd thinking it's Terry and she's like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I decided I think we can make love now. Um, yeah. And then later the neighbor girl is like hitting on him and she's like trying to make out with him. He's like, Hey, what's on the tube? <laughs> he just decides to watch TV. <laughs> well, and, and did you yeah. notice uh, Terry's girlfriend's outfit throughout the entire movie? I did not know. It is very, very, very light, almost white. Like she, that, that was an intentional, um, like presenting her mm-hmm. as like a pure virginal. Final oh, girl, I got gotcha. Basically. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, like that was supposed to be a visual representation of some of that innocence and purity. Um, so, so yeah, like Terry is definitely uncomfortable, uh, with any sort of not just sex, but like anything that is adult. And, and I mentioned this in our chat, um, that watching blood rage this time, I started to notice more Southern Gothic things like there was more about this that even though like i would not necessarily classify it as a southern gothic movie there's some things about it that kind of had that very southern gothic feel and the the relationship with the mother i feel like is one of those things you know like terry and just that extreme devotion to his mother and i know that's not limited to the south but those very strong maternal uh familial bonds is something that you do tend to get a lot in, in Southern Gothic stories. And, and that's one of those things that again, I don't necessarily think was super intentional, but just part of Grismer's style that I feel like was unavoidable in, in how some of this was presented. Mm. But again, that was also like, mm-hmm. you know, six times watching it. <laughs> if anything, I kind of wish it was a little bit more. So that like it, it's set in Florida and Nathan, you can, you are a, you're a Florida boy. You know, I would not classify man. myself as that, but I did grow up in Florida. Um, but th- that, that's one thing that I don't feel like the movie conveys a whole lot of. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. it really gives you much of the setting because so much of it is contained within this apartment complex, which apparently is like the only place left on Earth because nobody ever leaves, despite the fact <laughs> so... that people, many people are being murdered. And also, not that many people really live there. Like, it seems like there are only just yeah. these eight people that live in this entire apartment complex because they're like screaming constantly, and nobody ever comes out to check. Yeah, that was like my yeah, one because- thing on there. I'm like, why has no one? It, it took an hour. And nobody ever calls the police before before anyone even mentions like we should call the cops. <laughs> like, it's like there's literally a homicidal maniac who escaped a mental institution, and the only people out there searching for him are his shrink. And her, like, goon who has a trank gun. Yeah. Yep. And isn't afraid to use it. it Isn't afraid to knock on the door with the gun pulled in the face of whoever answers the door. So, So, like, why didn't they call the cops in the first place? Well, because the shrink was there. So, here's here's the thing about that, Eric. You're like, nothing about this movie, like, screams Florida. Uh, Yes, it does. If you have lived in Florida, like everything about this okay after the drive-in because that wasn't actually uh, filmed in florida um but like everything that takes place in uh the apartment complex it screams florida Mm. especially you know what 
but it, it, here's it's such a minor thing and and again you probably like wouldn't necessarily notice this but having grown up in florida i was like yep i know those things um <laughs> the when when uh, some of the outside shots when they're on that sort of like bridge style structure thing that's just kind of like a very low bridge going over some of the marsh that is absolutely florida like there was a there was a park um like a nature park that i used to go to when i was a kid that looked exactly like that like that the exact same style of bridge so when they're running on it or when um yeah he, he stabs the one dude in the neck with the the turkey fork it was like yeah, i feel like i've been <laughs> on that exact bridge and you know like looking over into the swamp and seeing alligators and like no barrier except for that <laughs> there's like no oh, barrier between an you and the swamp <laughs> and and so yeah it absolutely <laughs> felt like florida one of my favorite little details in this movie and this maybe is a florida thing is that like they talk about they they tell the uh the uh dr berman is the is the shrink um to go check the nature the, trail the psychologist she, not psych- a shrink whatever i like to say shrink it's, yeah, I know. it's 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 concise. It, it fits the tone of this movie it fits the tone of the movie yeah uh because she is uh she's definitely shrinking some heads i guess i don't know that doesn't make any sense <laughs> nope. she, the way that she she, she oh, does God, shrink her body because it's cut in half <laughs> her, her body shrinks by 50 <laughs> percent um what the hell is that? Oh, so whenever they go, they tell her to like go check the nature trail, and by nature trail, what they mean is just some fucking woods yep. that look like shit. Like, yep, it's so <laughs> funny how how like not well kept up the woods are for yep. it to be a nature trail. <laughs> Dude, and they specifically call it out as it looks like a nature trail after a hurricane. Yeah, what I'm saying, like, yeah, it looks so bad. Dude. Uh, go try to do any sort of horticulture, anything in Florida during the summer outside for more than five minutes. You'll be out there like, you know, trimming a little bit of bush. You might cut down like one small fern. Yeah. You might be (laughs) quacking in that bush. You'll be out there for five minutes before you say, you know what? The alligators can just have this place. I'm, I'm going inside. I was in Florida in October and I was dying. Yep. It was so hot. (laughs) Yep. I, I was. I literally packed a jacket because I was like, maybe it'll be cooler in the evenings. No, it nope. was like 90 degrees the entire time I was there. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. God, there's so much that I want to talk about, but I want to come back to Dan because <laughs> I want more of Dan's <laughs> reactions to this movie. So Dan, what are some more of your reactions? What are some of the things that you have in your notes that you are just dying to talk about with blood rage? Uh, I mean, you're, you're you're spot on because one of my notes are here is Terry isn't happy about mom remarrying Oedipal question mark <laughs> um, but yeah it, it's weird because of all the characters in this film mom is the most sexualized character which is not something that happens in teen based horror films because as I said before we started this is a movie of full of horny people that can't f- <laughs> at all. Right. Pretty sure he like, said that on the podcast. being interrupted. There was one thing where it's like the girl is like, "Oh, you the guy, the girl and the guy were in the bedroom and you think they're fucking and nope, they're putting on horror makeup cuz of course that's what you're going to do about this scene. And then a guy interrupts him. He's like, "Oh, do you want to come us?" They're like, "No, we're going to play tennis." And then they're 
fucking playing tennis. Like, they actually go play tennis. I also love to. Tennis. They play like a video game at one point. Yeah, like another group. All these horny teenagers that are doing everything possible to not have sex. And like, then whenever they do have sex, they really the worst. Do most uncomfortable looking sex you've ever seen it's like oh, in the back of yeah. a car or on top of a diving board oh my god yeah. of all of the places that i have ever fantasized about having sex on a diving board is fucking not one of them like no, those things are like gritty oh they're like, yeah they're purposely made to be slip resistant so it's like when i when i first saw the sandpaper at that point Oh, absolutely. When, he, when I first saw the scene on the diving board, like in my mind, I was like, oh, they're trying to make this look like kind of intimate. It's very sweet. Like they're just kind of laying there. But I think, no, it's like they're just afraid to move. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're like, what have we got ourselves into? Um, so, uh, so this film does some really interesting stuff around sex. And it just, you know, it's not ever really fulfilled properly in this mm -hmm. film. I mean, even the one scene with the girl in the shower that's like the titillating scene isn't all that titillating because, I mean, she's an attractive woman, but she's washing fake gore off her. You know? Yeah, she's just think, taking a shower. Like, there's... No, it's yeah, you think very it's going to something else, but it's like, nope, no, it doesn't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, I don't... I, have I mentioned... I can't remember if I mentioned this before after we recorded, but my favorite, the the best shower scene in the movie is when um, Terry takes a shower, mm -hmm. and it is fascinating to me because he takes a shower with his underwear on. That could have been a continuity like, error of like the camera was lower than they thought. That, yeah. Or... yeah. But, but, that yeah, might be it. Only... But also, I think it also gives more character. Well, <laughs> For all the uncomfortable stuff he has, well, with. especially yeah. well, this movie seemingly goes out of its own way to kill every possible boner you could get, <laughs> because <laughs> intercut with all these teenage, you know, might have sex shenanigans, we have mom like drinking and cleaning, and then some more teenage shenanigans, and then mom eating her. Thanksgiving leftovers on the kitchen floor out of their containers in front of an open fridge. Cause man, I don't, I don't know what makes you horny, but depressed mom is not, does not do it for me. Well, then, so, then you have sure some more horny scenes story. and then you have the fiance, um, apartment manager listening to church, <laughs> drinking his old style beer yeah. Then you have more teenage horniness, and then mm -hmm. you have a little girl looking for her lost cat, which, oh my god, I, I don't remember if we talked about this uh, during the first episode. I, I know that we talked about the little girl. Sorry, I, we just probably aren't going to come back to this unless we talk about it right now. Uh, I, I love, love, love the fact that this movie has the trope of like, oh, here, kitty, kitty, the little girl looking for a cat. And uh, and and Todd saying to her, "There's a dangerous man out here. You need to go inside and lock the doors." And then that actually has a payoff of yeah. the little girl locks the doors and actually does something smart. Yeah, it it <laughs> plays out so perfectly because you're watching and it's like, just open the door. That's not the killer. But at the same it's time, it's a fun little inverse of like my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite things about Halloween, which is when Laurie's running around to the neighbors trying to get someone to come help her and no one comes to the door 
And this mm-hmm. one, it's like the little girl is on the other side of the door and she's like, I'm not opening the door. You're going to hurt my kitty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she's like, no, I was told to lock the door. So that's what I did. It's like, hey, someone did something smart to the detriment possibly of other people. But I think that we forgot to talk about this. Uh, the, the, the first time that we reviewed this movie, there's the setup earlier in the movie when they're out searching for Todd and you hear a cat. It's obviously just some a cat dude going, yelling. meow. Yeah. Yeah, it has the cat jump scare. <laughs> but, like, oh my god, there's little things like that that, again, they feel so intentional because they feel so well-designed and subversive of the mm-hmm. horror tropes. But at the same time, I think that they were accidentally brilliant because I think that they really were just horror tropes thrown in cause. You know? Like, I, it, it's so weird. I don't actually think that this movie is as brilliant as I think that it is. I think that so much of it was accidental. I think that it really was, oh, there's going to be a cat jump scare because that's what you have in horror movies. So here's a cat jump scare. And then you also have little girls looking for their pets. Sure, let's have a little girl looking for a cat. I I don't necessarily think that it was like that plotted out of we're going to have this setup lead to this payoff, which in and of itself is a setup for another payoff. But yet, it, no, there's, but yet I, it works. I, one of the things that I think works so well about this movie is there is a specificity to every single scene <clears throat> that you don't often get in these kind of slasher movies. Like, I don't know. I feel like it does actually take a little extra time to kind of like give all of these various side characters that are really just there to be killed off or be naked or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it gives them a more interiority than you would expect. You know what I mean? Like they actually like have motivations and they, they actually are kind of distinct from one another to a certain, like more so than you usually get, you know, like you have the, uh, you know, one of the girls is a babysitter. And then whenever the, uh, single mom, the single mom comes home with her boyfriend who is her, the, or not her. Yeah. Her date, I guess, which the date is played by, uh, Ed French who did the, uh, did all the makeup effects, which is kind of fun. God, oh, that's, that was one of the most awkward scenes. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she was looking for a little head, and she got it. Yeah. Oh. Again, yeah. I'm gonna go get into something more comfortable, and just comes out in this like ridiculously sexy <laughs> outfit. Yeah. And Ed's dead. <laughs> you know what, Eric? That is a great point. In that, I cannot tell you any of the characters' names other than Terry and Todd. But yeah. I can describe every... The mom's name is Maddie. The mom's name is Maddie. Mm-hmm. I, I, even that, I don't yeah. ever remember. But I can tell you Terry and Todd. I can't remember yeah, any of the other characters' names, but I can tell you everything yeah. about them. Yes, I've seen it a lot. Someone's name but, Bill. There's an Artie in there, I think. But it doesn't yeah, matter. Then, I, I just know him as, like, guy who wants Terry's girlfriend, you know? Right, or guy with a bat, or girl in skimping negligee, or... But, like, yeah, that... I, I hadn't really thought about that. This movie does give all of those side characters enough to where they are distinct and not just, you know, machete fodder. Yeah, especially, too, because they even, like, there's a whole lot of the movie they're kind of, like, 
swapping partners and kind of i mean not even necessarily partners in a sexual way like they just kind of split off into different groups and like mm-hmm. one one of the guys will start with one girl and then it'd be like oh let's just go hang out with this other girl and play a video game with her and like <laughs> it, and you never really like lose track of who is who right um which you know ordinarily it's just like oh there's just hot girl number one and jock dude number two and all that stuff but like yeah each of these characters are you know, it doesn't do a whole lot of extra work, but it is enough that it feels like it's trying, like it gives a shit and right. wants mm-hmm. you to tell the difference between them. Um, I, I don't know. I just think that's that's the thing about this movie that I think sets it apart is it feels like everybody in this movie, whether their acting is good, whether they're doing a great job or whether everything works exactly the way they want it to, you know, that's that's up for debate. But I do think that it feels like everybody in this movie is treating it like a real movie and not like a shitty mm. genre picture like you get in a lot of these 80s movies where it's like, oh, yeah, this person is clearly just this is a stepping stone for them to, you know, what they hope is bigger and better things. But no, it feels like everybody in this is like actually having a good time, like the the teenager people who are definitely not teenagers, but <laughs> so they're, not they're teens. college age. Yeah. Yeah. Like it seems like they're actually genuinely having fun hanging out with one another, and and the one the one thing I really want to focus on, whether we do it now or later, is Louise Lasser is giving a shit in this movie. Like her performance, she is giving all the shits. Is kind of great, I think. Like it's it's not. It may not be in the right movie because her no her it, scenes are a totally the different right movie. movie. Well, and I'll, I'll get to that too because I think that it's the way that she's utilized in this movie is kind of weird, especially the first time you watch it. It seems so out of left field, but I think that it works beautifully with how it bookends the film. Um, but yeah, like the, the whole movie is essentially here's a slasher movie and in between the kills, we're going to also show you this like fucking John Cassavetes movie. Which is- <laughs> I was about to say it's a woman under the influence. It's a woman under the influence, yeah. Like that's what it is. And I, Nathan, you compared it Collins, but couldn't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh Nathan, you compared it in our last episode. You were talking about how Louise Lasser's kind of storyline reminded you of Ellen Burstyn in uh Requiem Requiem for, for a Dream. Dream. Yeah. So <laughs> much so. And I was thinking that this time as well, because I forgot that we talked about that. But um, I was like, yeah, she kind of reminds me of that, especially when she's like eating the leftovers on the floor. Cause well, especially like the, when she is frantically cleaning everything like that, just yeah. obsessive. I don't know how to deal with this anxiety. And so it's going to come out with just this nervous energy. Mm-hmm. And and so like she's cleaning, but then she has an entire glass full of wine which i i yeah. love the scene when she's trying to call the cops and she's trying to pour the wine and like looking up to make sure that she's not spilling it so, yeah but i love it uh her, but, her stuff in the movie is so good so and good. i did want to point out though that you mentioned the requiem for a dream thing and she is in the louise lasser is in requiem for a dream like what? she plays ellen burston's friend what? in the movie which i found to be fascinating and there is a part of me that just desperately hopes that Aronofsky cast her on purpose because he saw blood rage and he's like, that is the character I'm going to put into my film Requiem for a dream. I like, I really hope that this is the template. That's headcanon. That is absolutely what he did. Uh, because I, I so. Requiem for a dream is also a movie 
just wrought with weird parent-child relationships and uh, a super uncomfortable sexual tension throughout. And yeah. I, I'm I'm just glad that at no point in Blood Ridge is there some creepy old dude saying ass to ass. Yes, yeah, if, if is, Keith David, if David hmm. Keith, Keith David, Christ, I can never remember. If he had shown up, I would have been like, <laughs> oh no, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh, God, that scene is uncomfortable. Um, so I, I'm glad that you brought back up Requiem for a Dream because I was about to. And the the scenes with Louise Lasser, it um, the, the scenes with Louise Lasser are so just emotionally gut wrenching, and that gives you all of the heart of the movie. Even though Eric, I know this is something that you wanted to talk about in terms of like it feeling like two completely separate movies. All of the emotional heart of what especially Todd is doing, you get that out of the context of uh, Louis Lasser's scenes. And even though you would have maybe a, a tighter slasher movie without that, I don't think that it would have been anywhere near as good. It certainly wouldn't have had the same impact and it certainly wouldn't have had the same impact at the end. But when you see her anxiety, with Terry uh, just being gone and not knowing what's happening to her son and scared about what's going to happen to Todd and not knowing where her boyfriend is. And Oh my God, the scene where she's talking to him and she's like, no, I, it, it's just too much for you to uh, put on. Like, no, you, you don't need to be dealing with this. Like I, I mm. feel that anxiety in, in her voice and in her, yeah. uh, in her body language when like she's shaking a little bit. It's like, I, I've seen that. I've seen that in people and I know exactly how she feels and, and it fits and it works. And like that gives you the undertone of the rest of the movie. And mm-hmm. it plays back into uh, what I mentioned earlier with that sort of arrested development of, uh, of Todd and Terry. Um, and I'm talking too much again and I want Dan's thoughts. Dan, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? I want, I want the fresh blood talking about the blood rage. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> it's spot on with mom, with the cleaning thing, because I'm hoping she's asleep by now. And Andrea does the same thing. If she's nervous or if like something is causing her anxiety, she cleans to the point mm. where I'm like, man, the house is getting dirty. I should do something sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> do I need to cut that out of the episode? Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, um, I, I, I've told her that in the past. <laughs> um, but that's she. She totally does that, and I mean, she does not grab the big bottle of wine and just keep pouring herself a glass. But it was that you know, I, I've, I've, you know, when you work with people who are, who have undergone trauma, you see a lot of that look, and yep. you know, she nailed the look of I don't yeah. know what to do with myself. Something is going on. I need to, I need to occupy my mind somehow. And mm. you know, that's what she does. She just cleans that damn house from top to bottom. And it, it was very fascinating. Like, like you said, it's, she's in a different movie while everything else is going on and they don't converge until the end. Um, mm. and even then when they converge, it's fucking phenomenal. Uh, well, and I think that like the fact that they give her her own little 
like side movie is mm-hmm. is the reason why the end of it the end of this movie works so well yes. like to have because the slasher stuff is very like over the top and kind of silly you know mm-hmm. like i mean the the way that they use her narrative to break up the slasher stuff is both brilliant because a usually what they do is they have terry start to attack someone cut to louise lasser for a, a little bit and then cut back to the aftermath of the kill for like a great punchline to the death. Like mm-hmm. the best one ever is whenever he cuts Dr. Berman in half <laughs> and you just see him attacking her and then it cuts <laughs> away to her for a lo- to Maddie mm-hmm. for a little bit and it cuts back and she's just laying on the ground in two pieces with both <laughs> sides, both halves of her body wiggling. And I but hope like it again, when God comes and tries to put her back together. <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny. <laughs> The, uh, on the interview, one of the things they said is little... they, they tried to, um, they tried to get it to where like they showed her being cut in half and actually showed her legs walking a little bit further before falling over. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I do like the way that they cut it together. No yeah. pun intended. Or cut uh, it apart in the. Uh, so Final movie. two things, uh, the more minor thing. Um, so many visual horror references, like when the uh, psychiatrist is walking through the, the nature trail and you see Terry standing there with the machete like that is straight out of Friday the 13th and it is beautiful and I mm. adore it. But with Todd trying to put her back together again, that is such a little kid thing to do. Like mm-hmm. the, I, 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 he just doesn't know how to react to the situation. Well, yeah, like the first time, thank God I've not had to deal with this yet. And I am not looking forward to it, but the first time that your kids experience death, you know, like uh, the first time they have a pet that dies or the first time that they see a, um, you know, like a, a dead animal on the side of the road. And they're like, daddy, what's going on and you're like oh yeah um they're not alive can we fix it no no yeah. it's um, like the pet cemetery kind of thing mm-hmm. where it's like yeah and and so like again that's such a little kid thing to do to see someone cut in half and be like maybe i can put her back together and she'll be okay it, like that, that feels like what a six-year-old would do if they see their dog dead. And I, I don't know. I, I, and I don't know how much of these things were intentional because again, listening to the commentary, <laughs> it feels like none of them are intentional. Mm. Part of me really, really, really hopes that it was. And Grismer was just way underplaying it because he just doesn't care to talk about it. But you know, it's things like that where it's just like, there's no way that this can't, be intentional you know like yeah Yeah. maybe it's played for laughs but i don't know if it's funny or if it's just hilarious because of how awkward it is but it just i i don't know there there are Mm -hmm. too many little things like that that they've got to be intentional no matter how many times someone tells me that no they aren't they they just have to be hey they they are whatever you want them to be (laughs) that's what i say that's what movies are there for they're for me and only me. Indeed. Ah, oh, God. So, so many more things that we want to talk about. Uh, Dan, what else do you have in your notes? I want to make sure that we address everything that you want to talk about because, again, I can talk um, about lots. I am a thousand percent sure you guys talked about this last time, but man, the kills in this film were awesome. Yep. 
Um, I, I know you you just mentioned the woman getting cut in half. My favorite one is when the there's a knock on the door and she looks through the peephole. <laughs> and she's like, oh, it's so-and-so. And then opens the door and his severed head is just hanging there. At- is Does one the of the- take the time yeah. to sever a head? He made sure he hung it at <laughs> people level without anything else showing so that you would think it was him at the door. That's like, one of my favorite running bits throughout the entire film is that after Terry kills people, he always like he almost always does something with their body like mm-hmm. to to like set it up like like uh you know there's the one of my favorite bits is whenever he takes uh i think it's Artie who he kills on the bridge he like sets uh whenever his girlfriend is like hiding in the little like outdoor closet thing mm-hmm. he pretends like he doesn't know she's in there and then he goes and gets the body and puts it in a lawn chair so that way whenever she walks out he just kind of like he like weekends weekend at Bernie's it at her and she like seems genuinely just annoyed that he's doing it like he's just playing some kind of stupid prank she's like Ugh, oh my god I can't believe you would do this again uh, but it's just so funny like how playful he is throughout the mm-hmm. entire movie with all of these dead bodies or like he does oh man the one of the best effects when, when, I when still she's... don't even really oh, uh, sorry. how they do some of them I was just going to say, whenever there are two different scenes where he had one of them where he's pulling a machete out of a woman's yes, which is so good and so seamless. And then there's another one where he stabs someone in the stomach and it comes out of his back. And even now, like Mm -hmm. he sort of explains it, uh, the makeup effects guy in the interview, but I still don't quite understand how they got the machete to come out of the dude's back. It's it's dynamite. It's really incredible. Which, you know, for a film with this level of budget, you do not expect. Yeah, and even, I, I don't remember if I finished my thought, but like that severed head that you mentioned, but it, it's so good looking. Mm-hmm. Like it looks <laughs> incredible. In well, that's the thing, because so many times when you get like these dead body puppets type of thing, they look like a dead body puppet. Yeah, yeah. they look fake. These don't. They look great. Yeah, like you've got the animatronic hand squeezing that uh, old style beer the with beer blood can. splurting oh, so out. <laughs> yeah, you get oh probably <laughs> probably my favorite effect in the entire thing because again the first three times that I watched it I kept forgetting about it. Um the the scene with the apartment manager after he has been killed and uh, Louise Lasser walks in. Oh yeah, that's another she, one. He props the he props, props him up, up on his desk. Yep. So it it's looks like he's just working. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so then, like when she pulls the chair away, and he falls down, and his head splits open, and you see gray brain. It's just, oh my god, it is so over the top with its blood, and and again, like how playful he's being. Again, ties back into the you know like shitty eight year old who's just pulling pranks. He's a, he's a little stinker. <laughs> just playing pranks on everybody like when uh with uh oh what's the girlfriend's name the the final girl um i'll pull the name up in just a second uh after i say this but like towards the end when it turns just into a chase where he's just chasing around the complex he gets so playful with her like yeah he's when, just messing with her yeah so like when he has the one dead guy sitting in the uh the lawn chair and like she's backing away and he grabs her ass with the dead guy's hand. Yeah. <laughs> it's so 
it tells you so much about his character. Uh, and, and one other super quick thing. I love, love, love in the end, towards the end, during all of the chase scene where she is just getting sick of it, but not like final girl sick of it. I'm going to fight back, but just like that exasperated, like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just something it's a really that you fun don't way to play see that. very Again, that's often. One of those, like, yeah, that's one of those things where it just feels so specific. Like, it's not like she had no direction. It's like, yeah, I want you to just be sick of his shit at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's such a such a smart, interesting way to play this that no other slasher movie would ever do. And it and it doesn't feel like it feels tonally with like it fits in with the rest of the movie. Uh, that, that was Karen played by uh, Julie Gordon is the uh, the final girl of Blood uh, of Rage. Yeah, and it, it keeps up with that whole stunted, you know, eight-year-old stuff. Because, I mean, you've got Todd when he's mistaken for Terry. Like, I've, I've never kissed a girl, and he's being, like, incredibly shy about it. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end of the film, when you have the brother-versus-brother fight, it takes place in a fucking pool. <laughs> it's two brothers <laughs> fucking around in a pool. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. That's 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 vacation time fight right there. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's into it every chance they get that these are just two stunted boys. Yep. Uh, <laughs> speaking of stunt, um, for for as amazing as the practical effects are with all of the kill scenes, for as just great as so much of this movie looks. The body double that they have for Mark Soper is not oh, good. Oh, it's so funny. The wigs that they put on him are horrendous. Oh, it's, it's not <laughs> like, even the right body type. It's not the right body type. The wigs don't look anything like the hair. It's just like, yeah, get some, get one where the hair is like somewhat slicked back and then get another one where the hair is just kind of messy. And yeah, we'll go with that. Good. Let's, let's. <laughs> It's so funny. That was one of the few things I was disappointed in is at the end when, when he gets shot and you expect to, to reverse the shot and it just stays on the back of the stand-in the entire time. <laughs> like, yeah. It doesn't even give you the reaction of getting shot. Yeah. It's just like, nope, we're going to keep watching this from the back. Okay. It feels like it's like trying to do kind of a long take sort of thing because it, it holds yeah. on. That, that's a that's such a good shot <clears throat> where, um, you know, you've got Todd coming out of the pool and then Maddie comes in with the gun and and she shoots him in the face and he falls in the pool. Like it goes on for a, quite a while because after he falls in the pool, she like goes over there to check on Todd and everything like it's a pretty, you know, I mean, it's it's one it's not like the camera's moving around or anything, but it's I, I I'm just the kind of person who's a sucker for you know that's holding it, that, on a shot it. as long as you can. That's his copa shot from Goodfellas right there. <laughs> yeah. So tying it back, <laughs> which in he with- also does at the beginning of the movie with mm-hmm. the uh, the drive-in sequence. He runs the camera down the entire concession line and into the bathroom. Yeah. So uh, keeping with some of that Oedipal stuff, I love the fact that he is shot in the eye and is blinded just like Oedipus. Um, Mm. The thing that's the most disappointing about how some of the double shots are shot is, um, and again, a lot of this comes from watching Grismer's other films, especially Scalpel. Scalpel also uses the same actress in multiple scenes, like playing two different characters. 
And so knowing that he has done it and he knows how to do it and how to do it well to where it looks great, it is disappointing. But I attribute that to just, you know, budgetary constraints and spending all of their money on uh, cutting a dude's head in half. Because <laughs> that makes more sense. Well, and also, that, I guess that, that kind of leads into like the only the one thing of the movie that I think is kind of the biggest missed opportunity, which is that Todd doesn't really get anything to do in the movie. Um, like his character is, I said this on the last episode, but on this one, it, it stuck out even more where it's like, what the fuck is he doing this he's... for the entire movie? He's just kind of like, he's like guerrilla warfare style, like running in, talking to someone and then running into the woods. And then he comes back to see his mom and check out his bedroom. And then he goes back into the woods. Like, I don't know. It's just so weird that he's, there's no real, you don't get any real, idea of what it is that he's doing other than just like trying to find his way back into his family's life and i mean on on to take a note from ryan george's pitch meetings so the movie could happen i mean sure yeah it's just that like he doesn't really have an arc which is disappointing because he's probably the most interesting character one of the most i mean obviously the two brothers and the mother are the three most interesting characters in the movie but todd is the only one who doesn't really get anything to do and he's the one who has the biggest journey because he's the one who's been framed for this awful murder and he i mean his whole arc is basically just he he decides to stand up to his brother but you don't really understand what led him to do that so what i think and i I could be wrong because they never they never interact with one another until the very end that's true but what i think is happening is what i think is happening is when the mom goes and visits him at the psychiatric hospital, which side note, I love because of how bad it is and how oh dumb it is and how amazing it is because it is, it's, it's one of those decisions where it's like, what were you thinking? And also I've never seen this happen on any other movie. The closest comparison that I can think of is uh, Kaoma where you have the psychiatrist talking to the mom you have um uh, uh what's her name um not margot kidder you have um marianne Cantor, who was one of the producers of the film oh yeah, yeah. as She's the psychiatrist talking to louise lasser but you don't hear that conversation you hear uh, <laughs> marie Cantor doing a voiceover narration of what is happening directly in front of your eyes he's narrating a conversation (laughs) that is happening on screen (laughs) it is uh the closest comparison is in kioma where you have a scene and then you have a song explaining what you literally just saw but i have never ever in the thousands of movies that i've watched i have never seen uh a, a narration on top of what's happening by the person in the scene in, <laughs> unless it is something like very intentionally trying to be bad you know what uh I, I i take that back one of the only other things that i can think of that is similar to this is whose line is it anyway where they um i i forget exactly which game it was but like they were doing you know like a, a sort of like a film noir style or like a detective story where you know like they would step away and describe what was happening 
and, mm. and like that was the game is they would be in a scene and then you know the uh the it was like one person is narrating and the other person is trying to act out what they're saying right right yeah yeah but like that's the closest that i've seen to it of someone describing what's happening it's so bizarre so bizarre but what i think is happening in that moment is i think that part of the reason that uh that louise lasser uh what's the character's name margo is that right maddie Maddie. uh i think one of the reasons that maddie went to see todd was to tell him that she was getting engaged yeah because he's supposed to be in a psychiatric hospital he's not supposed to be escaping he's not gonna be there that's what she tells people yeah but he's not gonna be there for the announcement and so i think that she went there to let him know and, and to I, give him his pumpkin pie and give him his pumpkin pie which he throws against the wall like an ape smearing his shit and it is hilarious god and i just narrate it i <laughs> i love everything <laughs> about described this to you while you're watching it <laughs> oh it's the best thing it's so, it's funny. so good and I love the only thing I can think of is that maybe like all scene of the, the movie, you start the movie with that murderous kid at the drive-in and then instantly go to psychiatric hospital with the doctor narrating what's happening in front of your eyes as he throws a pumpkin pie against the wall. And that perfectly sets that, up the tone for this movie. Yeah, I hope that it yeah, it definitely sets the tone or to give you to let you know exactly what's going to happen for the like to set your expectations for what <laughs> it's going oh my god what it's going to be like watching this movie the, the only thing i can think of is maybe like for some reason the the sound that they recorded that day was unusable so like what are we gonna do about this <laughs> but you are have gonna the scenes where you the, can hear her like <laughs> do what but you have the scenes where you can hear what they're saying that is true yeah they do maybe they like they did they did it italian style and had them dub themselves <laughs> part of it and they're like this is too much work let's just have marianne Cantor, the producer who also plays dr berman narrate over it oh my she god made an, an executive decision so uh so yeah all of that relates back to todd not having an arc i think that that's his arc i think that maddie went there to tell him she was getting engaged yeah, but it literally tells you his arc instead of showing you his arc is i guess is but, where but, I'm, but no like it I'm doesn't it doesn't actually tell you that like this is even worse. It's not telling me what's happening. It is me trying to piece together some clues and say, maybe this is what's going on. And I think that he knew I think that he knew his brother was going to kill again. And, uh, you know, because like there's twin magic or whatever. And, and I think that he had that (laughs) sense of just, I have to stop him because I know what's going to happen. And, I think that's what's going on. Uh, then that be becomes wrong. a self-fulfilling prophecy because would Terry have ever killed in the first place if Todd had not escaped? I think he would have. He just wouldn't have been able to so easily pin it on him. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Anywho. I don't know. Yeah, Damn. he would have eventually, without a doubt. He he enjoyed it way too much to not... Yeah. Oh. killing again which which also brings me to one of my other points about him like <clears throat> we mentioned that terry is like obviously kind of afraid of like any kind of sexual interaction but the only time he ever actually does like get a little frisky with karen is right after he's murdered a bunch of people <laughs> they start like making out on the couch at one point 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find that pretty interesting where it's like he he's uncomfortable with sex, but he is getting off on the violence that he is created. Mm-hmm. Got a blood rage in his pants, if you know what I that, mean. That's the blood. Yeah, it's <laughs> the blood. rage. <laughs> is is that your, how you're going to refer to boaters from now on? Yep, got me the blood yeah. rage. No. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, if it's <laughs> that's what she said. Man, so- gives new a new light to the whole. That's not cranberry sauce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god. oh man! You know, <clears throat> for all the for all the talk about this being a great Thanksgiving horror movie, we have talked almost nothing, almost none about Thanksgiving at all because uh. Not much to this movie uh, with Thanksgiving other than the cranberry sauce joke and the scene at Thanksgiving dinner at the very yeah. beginning. It feels like to me, like we, we keep talking about how it's pulling things from Halloween. Like it feels to me where they're just like, hey, what can we do to make this movie, like set this movie apart a little bit? I know. Let's set it at Thanksgiving mm-hmm. where Halloween was like, oh, it's a babysitter murders story. Mm-hmm. But we're just going to set it at Halloween and make it Halloween and give it some longevity. See, I don't disagree with you. Uh, however, my take on it is because this movie is so centered around family dynamics and um, just and all, fair, yeah. just like with all those family interactions, um, I think that Thanksgiving is one of the only holidays where it can make sense for it to be like a reason for family to get together without it being a holiday movie. Like if this were a Christmas horror movie, like you would need some Christmassy slasher stuff or like there would be, uh, there would just be a different tone to it. Not just about, uh, some of those family elements or if it were an Easter, uh, horror movie, I would expect there to be maybe a little bit more, uh, uh, playing on, on the faith aspect. Or if this were a, uh, Valentine's horror movie, then you know there's going to be more of that love theme. But like, like getting engaged, like getting engaged. But with with Thanksgiving, nah. aside from you know the historical <clears throat> context of you know colonialism and all that stuff, so disregarding the history of Thanksgiving and just the current how most people celebrate Thanksgiving, family, food, and football. For most people, that's what Thanksgiving is. Movie does have a football scene in it. This movie does have a football fair. scene in it, and <laughs> the worst touch football game ever. It's a, oh, it's I, a football game, sorry, not a kissing that contest. Room? That play lasts all of about one yard. Like that's the whole pass play right there. It's so funny. Speaking of like how much I love the editing in this movie, I mentioned this in the last episode, so I don't want to do it too much. But my one of my favorite things about the touch football game. Is that it's immediately what immediately precedes it is Dr. Berman's uh, narration. And she says something about like talking about Todd. She says, I must prepare him for the dangers of the world. And then it immediately cuts to them playing a very 80s game of touch football. And I just Mm. find that to be hysterically funny. I don't know if it was supposed to draw like like imply that football is dangerous or whatever. But it's just the way that it's cut together is so funny to me man speaking of cuts uh can we talk about (laughs) you never told me that one before (laughs) that's another again like all the all these smash cuts are so hilarious yeah they uh that's right after the game of football where it just cuts to them all at the thanksgiving table like no 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 table setting for this scene like it's just 
we're going to cut to them already sitting there at Thanksgiving dinner, laughing at a joke that you were never going to hear. (laughs) (laughs) And and in that scene, you have Terry drinking a glass of milk while everyone else is drinking like champagne and wine. Yeah. And again, I think tying into some of that arrest development. All right, Dan, what are some of the other things that you want to make sure to, to talk about? I, I apologize. I just get so amped no, about no. blood rage. Um, after this, I'm ready to talk about that ending. Okay. Uh, in that case, there's a couple of things uh, that, that I did want to mention before we get to that ending. We need to talk about the music. I mentioned this on uh, the last time that we covered it. Uh, I, I mentioned the song when the one guy is in the car just waiting for the other people who are trying to track down Todd. Uh, and the song that's playing on the radio is I'm coming to get you. I'm yeah. coming to get you. And I love it. I love the fact that the music is literally telling you exactly what's happening in the movie. It's on point. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> the message is clear. On point. I, I love <laughs> the, uh, the, the preacher in the background um, with the, uh, the apartment the manager. Yeah, yeah. It's talking about like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Like he's talking about like that and a hand for a hand and a hand for a oh, hand. I, I mean, the, he's also talking about later the neighbor going into the parable of the neighbor going into the woods. Yeah, yeah. like he is being spot on right now. Whoever's whoever that DJ is, he's good. <laughs> but it's, it was a preacher. Like he knew, he, he knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah. like the this only is, one outside of the apartment complex who knew. This is probably the best adaptation of Cain and Abel. Um, and, but, but we did not talk about before and Eric, you mentioned this. So I want to make sure uh, to, to give you the reins on this. We did not talk about how fucking great the, the main title music is for this movie. Oh, it's so good. Like it is just like it's the scores by Richard Einhorn and he is just going bananas on the synth. It is all it, the bananas. It kicks so much ass. I love it. I I just I adore the music in this movie. It's so good. Uh, and so wild and so over the top. And one of the things that I was looking at, which I find so fascinating, is that Richard Einhorn also composed the Voices of Light orchestral piece that accompanies um, like most versions of The Passion of Joan of Arc, the silent film now, like it's on the Criterion release. Um, and it's the version of the movie that I saw whenever we covered it last year for our like uh, at this point, two years episode. ago, was it two years? Two it was years before ago? the pandemic. Yep. Yeah, I guess it, it's not. It's almost two years because that was like February of 2020. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was like one of our last in-person episodes. That's right. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the version that I watched had that Voices of Light music, and it is gorgeous and haunting and incredible. And it is just... I still can't quite wrap my head around the fact that the guy who did that music also did this music because it is so wildly different. Well, he did um, also do uh, the music from yeah. Shockwaves from 77, Don't Go in the House, uh, Eyes of a Stranger, The Prowler, uh tales from the dark side dead of winter so like he's he's and yet none of those would ever like prepare you for the fact that this dude also had that piece in him the the (laughs) joan of arc piece it's so funny when you look at his filmography though because it looks like he's been a composer since 1928 (laughs) (laughs) that that is very true (laughs) uh it's so funny but yeah love the score in this movie 
Um, other very little things. Uh, I know that you already mentioned uh, the scene at the beginning in terms of just like some of the cinematography and how it was shot, but the sort of that long tracking shot following the guy going through the concession stand at the um, at the drive-in, uh, who then buys the condom from Ted Raimi. <laughs> That's the guy that then gets killed by Terry a few minutes later. And I've seen this movie like six times and it never clicked with me that that was the same guy because it doesn't matter that it's the same guy. And also, you know, he's naked uh, the next time that you see him after that, uh, that long shot. It just looks totally different. He's, he looks very different without his clothes on. Um, it's good to know that he really did need those condoms and just wasn't, you know, some guy just thinking he was going to get lucky. He was, but he was sexually responsible young man. And that is the <laughs> thing about that scene. And one of the things that every time that I watch this movie, I pick up more and more and more and love this movie even more. Even that opening scene that the first several times that I've watched it, I thought was just setting the tone of, hey, this is what a drive-in is like in case you've never been to one. Because that's how I've always watched it. I, I just watched it as here's a concession stand. Here's some dude buying condoms from a sketchy guy in a bathroom because that's what happens in a drive-in. That, that's it. That's all that I thought that it was. But this time it's like, oh, no, this is giving you some context because as the guy's walking through the concession stand, like he's checking out some other girl and like you actually get some character notes about him from very little interaction and eric that ties into what you were saying earlier about like even with these side characters whether they have names or not they kind of have personality and this time i actually picked up on the fact that yeah dude who got a hatchet to the face actually did have somewhat of a personality in this movie i never caught it before (laughs) ah all right i don't think that there's anything else that i want to talk about well let me rephrase that I want to keep talking about this and I want to talk about this movie every single year. And even if we don't go through this full of a review, we're probably going to keep covering it on occasion. Um, oh, I, I purposely only watched one version of it this year so that I could watch a different version next year and can, <laughs> could compare the notes. Oh yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. The Arrow, the Arrow has multiple versions. So yeah, I see. I just would have benched it and watched like all three and that of them. Is, and no, no, that's right. I was I was thinking about it, then I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to only watch this much so that I can next year have a plan of attack and be like, yeah. hey, I can just watch this much of it this year, and that'll be that. <laughs> that that does I, make I, more I, sense I than what I do. Four years and watch a different movie every time. It's true, and then uh, by the time you circle back around to it, maybe you'll forget which person was which. Um, all right, Eric, anything else that you yeah. can think of, uh, that you want to make sure that, uh, that we talk about before we start talking about the ending, because yeah, we, we need a major spoiler wall again before we talk about that ending. Uh, no, I mean, I think this kind of is a good way to lead into the ending. Uh, just a one other quick note on Louise Lasser's performance. Uh, in our last episode, I feel like I was too harsh on her character. No, Only you in that, were like, accurate I, from a first viewing of the tone of this movie. So I don't think that you yeah. were harsh. I just think well, I that think, the complexities hadn't fully soaked in. Right, yeah, because most of the last episode, I'm just basically like blaming her for why her kids are so fucked up. <laughs> that and is they, true. Like, basically, like, I mean, that's, that it's not an unfair thing to say. 
It's true, but there's, like, on this rewatch, I just, I felt so much more sympathy for her, because, like, I also was recognizing that she is also going through a very traumatic experience of having to deal with, yes. you know, her child becoming, or her child murdering someone and having to visit him in the hospital. And, uh, and even the, before that, yeah. you get the feeling that life has not necessarily gone her way. Right, yeah, like, she's going to the movies and she's just trying to enjoy herself, and she's still yeah. got the kids in the back and she's she's obviously very concerned about like trying to make out with her boyfriend at the drive-in because she doesn't want to wake up the kids or upset them or whatever like you get the sense that she's a woman who's just spends every waking moment of her life trying to take care of her kids and doing the best she can and you know she allows herself one moment to try and you know let her hair down a little bit and it blows up in her face and <laughs> yes it does Absolutely. And, and like this time, like just watching her, her, her whole arc play out. The, the thing that really stood out to me was the scene where she's talking to the phone operator. <laughs> um, it's such a weird, it's such a, th it's the kind of thing where it, like, it seems kind of funny on one level, but it's also just so profoundly sad because she's trying to get in touch with her husband, fiance. Or her, her fiance. Um, who just abandoned her like immediately? He, like her, her fiance is a piece of shit. Because to be like, fair, he did have a <clears throat> splitting headache. Uh, I knew you were gonna say that as soon as you said. To be fair, <laughs> uh, good one, Nathan. But no, like so, like she's she, whenever she finds out that Todd has escaped, she's like in the bedroom freaking out, and her her fiance is literally just trying to fuck her. While she's while she's going through this, he just keeps trying to like kiss her, and she's like, "No, I can't do this right now." And he's, and he's like, like oh, "Oh, okay, I get it." And then goes and then if it, yeah, he's like, "Okay, I get it. Let me make you feel better by doing the exact same thing you said you can't yeah. do right now." And then he's like, "I'll be here to protect you, uh, J.K. I'm gonna go hang out in my office and listen to Christian preaching or whatever the hell it is that he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. Um, because he says he's going to the office, and he just goes and sits." At his yeah. desk, like what does he do? I don't know. It's so weird. Dr drinking he an just old style, have a beer, and he didn't know how to say it. Yeah, he's so she, just exactly yeah. going to drink an old style beer and listen oh, yeah, to right. uh, open a beer, of course. Listen, listen to the preacher. But yeah, and then she's left there all alone. She's afraid to leave, and she's trying to call him and can't get in touch with him. And then, so the only, literally, the only connection she has is through the operator on the telephone, who's trying to find the number. <laughs> and she's freaking out on them, but also like, you know, the the way it's presented in the movie is that she's talking to someone, and at first you don't know that it's that it's an operator, but she's going on this whole thing about like, uh, what exactly is she saying? I can't remember. Um, I, I think that she's, she's trying to get just... the operator con to connect her to her fiance's phone, and yeah. I well, think she that she's just like, it's it's just not connecting. Like... It's just not picking up, and she's like, no, no, he has to be there. You have to connect me. Yeah, well, and she also starts talking about Todd escaping from his school, and then she even opens up and she's like, well, really, it's not a school, it's a mental institution. And, <laughs> you know, she keeps saying all these things to this person at the end, the person's just like, um, okay, so do you need a number or what? <laughs> and she's like, no, don't do this to me, don't leave me alone here. Mm -hmm. and, and she's like, what? And the person's like, what number do you want? <laughs> and she's like, what number do I want? I don't know. It's just so. It's so no, that like is desperately trying to get her off the phone. Yeah. But. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just. It's really sad. It's like yep. profoundly heartbreaking. 
And then that beautifully sets up the ending of this movie, which I think is genuinely affecting and emotional mm-hmm. the way that it yep. plays out. And in a way that like without her performance throughout the rest of the movie, the ending would feel extremely like exploitative. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it would feel like kind of a left field. Like we're basically gigantic spoiler alert. We're like, Oh yeah. Making, major, 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 ch- major, major spoilers. <clears throat> if you are still listening to this and have not yet seen blood rage, go watch blood rage. Seriously. Like uh, all yeah. the things that we've been talking about. Yes. They are things that happen in the movie. And yes, seeing them for the first time, rather than hearing us talk about them, there is so much more enjoyment. However, mm-hmm. even if we had told you like literally every single part of the movie, uh, whatever, like you would still have fun. This ending scene for reels is one of the few movies that I'm like, you really need to watch the movie be on that mm-hmm. journey, get to know these characters and then experience this ending. And and again, the fact that I think that Blood Rage is that powerful to where it's like, I don't want to spoil the ending of a movie that is uh, 34 years old because you need to feel this ending. Seriously, yeah. stop listening to us, watch Blood Rage, then come back and hear us talk about this ending scene. So, <laughs> yes, continue. Yeah. So, like, I've, well, I'm just saying, like, the, the fact that they ground the movie so much and that they, like, really make you feel for her character, I think makes the ending more like tragic and less of just like a cheap shock whenever she <laughs> kills herself, whenever she shoots herself in the head. Yeah. Like it's not um, just like Jason well, Voorhees jumping out of the, it's the whole reason why. Yeah. It's, it's, when, it, it's and, not... and, and uh, what's his name? Todd Terry plays that scene off very well. Hmm. Um, when he when he realizes his mother thinks he is the other brother. Yep. Yeah. It's just like how fucking defeating that must be. As a, like, you've done everything you can to a make sure your brother doesn't kill anyone else. Keep everyone, you know, try to protect people as best you can. And you're like, oh my god, they're finally going to see that I wasn't the killer all along, that I've been mm-hmm. wrongfully blah blah blah. And then mom is just like, oh nope, wrong son, damn it. <laughs> yep. And, yeah, and it's and, well, and and beyond that, like before she shoots herself, like mm-hmm. when she starts calling him Terry, and he's like, I'm Todd, I'm Todd. Yeah. She's like, no, no, like I'm Todd. Yeah. That and scene, even she starts repeating it too. I'm Todd. Yeah. I'm Todd. Well, that scene alone is enough of a oh my god like yeah. how am that i this sad yeah mm. it, like yeah. that is enough of a gut-wrenching this this is such a tragic ending that fits because of everything else but then when well, Todd is over on the side banging his head against the wall <clears throat> and you see her slowly bring that gun up you're like no 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 <laughs> it mm. ah it, it does not feel just like a cheap last kill of the movie it doesn't feel like jason jumping out of uh crystal lake it doesn't feel like someone smashing through the window yeah Mm -hmm. it's especially because you have to think about the fact that like what what has happened here is that this woman has just killed her own son Mm -hmm. and you know like whenever that happens she's obviously like having this just in like the way that she plays it after she kills her own son and she's cradling her other son and she's like, mommy's here. Come to mommy. I love you so much. I've 
hurt you so much. Like I can't live without you. And you know, you're such yeah. a good boy. And you're U.S. audience think that she is coming around to like uh, Dan just said yeah. to the fact that finally Todd is going to be embraced by his mother yeah. that he's been lacking for more than half his half of his life. And you like you get that sense of resolution and you start to feel mm. safe. And then she says, it's just us, Terry. He's gone. Mm. Todd is gone. And then it's like, oh, f- like it just it's a true gut punch that like again if you didn't have her kind of like parallel storyline running throughout this movie it would feel totally out of left field and would not work at all but the fact that you had that there just makes it truly a gut-wrenching moment that is yeah i mean it's a total Mm -hmm. a total rug pull that really works and is deeply emotionally affecting well, and Karen's and reaction to it—I would never expect from this kind of movie. Nope. It, but uh, again, you guys really need to watch *Scalpel and the Bride*. You really need to watch Grissom's other films because, not the same level, but it has some of these same thematic elements and the same sort of uh, emotional roller coasters in his other films and watching each of his other films only heightens the rest of them. It is, if you've not watched them, you really need to, but Karen's reaction when Maddie shoots herself, I I, I said this last time and it still holds true this time. Her reaction feels so genuine that it, it almost feels like she didn't know that that was supposed to happen in the movie because when Maddie shoots herself and she's just like, and like starts like running away, that it feels so genuine of a reaction that mm-hmm. yeah it it almost feels like they uh, uh pulled an alien chestburster scene on her <laughs> yeah definitely dan any additional yeah. thoughts I, I i really am trying to not just say everything no uh i mean again it, it's it, for for what it presents itself as you think it's just another you know 80s cheap slasher schlock film that's got this gimmick of twin brothers and it's it's like it's going for something that you don't expect it to go to um i i you know i'm i'm glad we did this i'm glad that i you know that I just happened to like collecting arrow films. So I, I saw this on the shelf that used at a local store and I'm like, Oh, haven't seen that, but it's the limited edition. F- it. I'll pick it up and then set it on my shelf and, you know, waited for just this moment to watch, uh, you know, the right time presented itself finally. Um, but it's, yeah, this is, this will be a go-to once in a while. This will be, this will be a rewatch like every year, every couple of years, without a doubt. Um, and this, this, this moves into the upper echelon of 80 slasher foot films for me. You know, that makes Why me so happy. Of as highly as stuff like, you know, my buddy Valentine blows my mind. Yeah. Oh, it, it's so much better than so many of those other I mean, movies. Yeah. This is so much better than like, say sleepaway camp, which has, yeah, some very similar mental health issues going for it. Also has but, special effects from the same person. <laughs> yeah, but this is a better film with, I think, a uh, yeah. better ending. And nobody talks about this movie. So you know? I, I think that the reason that Blood Rage 
doesn't once someone has seen it i don't know many people who don't love it but i think that the reason that it doesn't get the same sort of love as uh, as things like you know my bloody valentine or april fool's day or some of that stuff is because for one on its surface again it doesn't it takes a little bit to really get to some of those deeper things and so like watching it just on its surface it's like yeah it's a, it's a fun schlocky slasher movie eh, i've seen other movies do it before i've seen other movies do it better like just on its surface there's not that much that really makes it stand out it's only if you know <laughs> you're people like us who overanalyze the shit out of everything that take this kind of movie and are like, all right, let's really get into some of this stuff to the point where that ending uh, the scene with uh, with Louis Lasser isn't just a, oh, yeah, it's the final kill of the movie. It's a, no, like, there is trauma throughout this movie, and, like, this is just that exclamation point, and, ah, so much going on. But I don't think that most people are going to watch it that way, and that's not, like, a critique of other people. It's the, the same way that both Eric and I watched it the first time that we saw it where it's just like oh yeah this is fun and cheesy and dumb and awesome and i love it it's it's with those rewatches but if you're not the kind of person who really gets back into a movie and rewatches it a bunch you might miss out on some of those things and and because it's not you know uh, a movie put out by a major studio because it's not a movie with a more prolific director or because it doesn't have you know uh, like the johnny depp sort of character who then goes on to do other bigger things like because it doesn't have some of these other things i I think that there's less for most people to be like oh yeah that movie about blah 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 which is a shame because this movie is just so damn good and i i am so so happy that you enjoyed it um oh yes with with as excited as i was getting today i was like (laughs) god i hope that dan enjoyed this because i could have you were actually much quieter about it today than i expected you to be (laughs) (laughs) I, i i i think that i oversold it to eric a little bit the first time that he saw it and Mm. while i didn't i i don't think that hype affects you quite the same as it does eric and so i wasn't quite as worried about overhyping it that's not a critique about you it's just there are different personalities and they affect different people in different ways i didn't think that me overhyping it was gonna have as big of an impact i just didn't want i didn't want to hype myself up too much and then you watch it and then just be like eh, it's fine and be like, what? No, no, it's brilliant. No, dude, no. That's pretty much like every time I, I get excited about covering a movie on this podcast, that's exactly <laughs> what you do to me, where it's like, oh, man, I can't wait to do Cloud Atlas. And Nathan's like, fuck that movie. And I'm like, okay. Uh, first off. I know you didn't say that. That's not what I said. I said it was a great movie with a minor issue. Um. All right. Yeah. So so I, I, so I was a little worried, Dan, that you weren't going to love it uh, as much. So. This is the type of film where even if it's not as deep as this one was, I still enjoy those. I I love 80 slashers so much. <laughs> ah, they have to be really truly bad for me to hate them. <laughs> and there are very few that I've, very few 80 slashers films that I've seen that I'm just like, nope, that was garbage. Yeah. This one again, like it's so entertaining throughout and the the two opening scenes to me give it enough to carry it through even some of the uh, parts of the movie where it drags a little bit 
All right. So uh, you already answered how rewatchable you think this movie is. Eric, mm-hmm. how rewatchable do you think uh, Blood Rage is? Uh, it's all right. Um, I hate you so much. <laughs> now I got it. Now I got to push back against against you. No, honestly, <laughs> like I, you know me, I'm, I am resistant to the idea of rewatching movies to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I think it's super rewatchable. I do think it's the kind of movie that reveals more and more depth to it every time you watch it, whether it is depth that is supposed to be there or not. It, for me, it doesn't really matter. I think that it is. I think at the end of the day that like there's all this like good stuff to dig into, but at the end of the day, it's just a fun fucking movie. Like it's just it moves. It's a great slasher flick with great kills. Doesn't um, overstay its welcome. It does. Nope. Yeah, it's an hour and twenty two minutes. Short. Like it, it's it gets in and gets out and gets the job done. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like the platonic ideal of what you're looking for in these kind of like you know quote unquote bad or campy eighty slashers slasher movies um i kind of like the idea that we keep referring to it or at least in the last episode we did we referred to it as campy a lot because it's essentially like friday the 13th but in not in a camp right yeah so it's not very campy um <laughs> just friday the 13th in an apartment complex um but it's, yeah I, it is I a very complex movie it is it's very complex that's very true but yeah i like it just it gives you so many different flavors and uh i love that it it just has this other random movie kind of thrown in there obviously because i focus so much on louise lasser uh um not what we're talking about but right. uh yeah i think blood rage <laughs> is of- super rewatchable i will hopefully be less uh disinclined to acquiesce your request to rewatch this movie <laughs> the next time <laughs> Um, because it's a great movie. Such a great movie. I, I really love it. Yeah. Uh, it it is no surprise that for me it is an annual watch. I'm going to watch this every year around Thanksgiving. I try honestly to watch it more than once around Thanksgiving. Like I I usually do watch it twice. Uh, in you go back for seconds. I do. Like I watch it the first time and it's like that was yummy. And then you know a few days later it's like you know what. I'm lazy. I want some leftovers and, and then I go back and watch it. Um, so yeah, like I, I really do go to this movie like Thanksgiving dinner and leftovers where, you know, cause like how many times do you have the food that you have at Thanksgiving? You know, like maybe you have one or two of those dishes, but you don't have like your Thanksgiving dinner anytime other than Thanksgiving, maybe some overlap with Christmas, but typically, uh, most people that I know, like they, they want distinct dinners between like, this is our Thanksgiving dinner. This is our Christmas dinner to make them a little bit more, uh, unique and special. And so like, because of that, like at Thanksgiving, it's like, I'm probably not going to eat some of the stuff again until next year. So I want to put as much of it in my body as possible. And it's the same way with blood rage. It's like, all right, I know that I'm probably not going to watch this movie again until next year around Thanksgiving. So I need it in my eye holes again. And, and so I try to watch it twice. Um, Eric, you mentioned this last time and I still totally agree because the Thanksgiving piece is so just, just surface level. Like it doesn't matter. You could watch this movie any time of year. Like this would be a great middle of summer uh, you know, like throwing it in there with things like Sleepaway Camp and Friday the 13th mm-hmm. and um, and again, like other camp movies, even though it's not camp. 
Yeah, because it doesn't even feel cold because it's Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is Florida. But maybe it's just because, like, I know that it's a Thanksgiving movie. Maybe it's because the first time I watched it, it was during Thanksgiving. There's something about it that I, I don't actually see myself watching it outside of Thanksgiving. I would if someone was like, hey, I want to watch Blood Rage in April. I'd be like, okay, let's do it. But it, it's just one of those things where I, it, it is harder for me to picture watching it outside of, uh, of November. But in November, I want to watch it three or four times. Uh, typically, I try to watch it in different ways. You know, like I just I want to watch it because I have to watch it. And then, you know, like I want to invite people over to watch it or I want to watch it for the podcast or I want to watch it for whatever. Like I want to find as many excuses as possible to rewatch this movie. Um some some recommendations and pairings we've already talked about some of the ones that work really well in terms of some camp movies dan i think that your suggestion of uh oh shit was it dan or eric honestly i don't remember which one of you said it but uh the basket case comparison i think is great okay good my gut was right uh so yeah dan the comparison of basket case i think is brilliant and i would love a basket case and uh, a blood rage double feature um you know, it. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of some other ones that that. It would I'm definitely pair well with. double feature doing a double feature of this one hour and twenty two minute movie with the two hour and twenty six minute uh, film, A Woman Under the Influence. I think that that's just. Uh, <laughs> I think that's just a great, a great mm-hmm. pairing there. Yeah. It, it, again, pairs. It would pair great with Requiem for a Dream. Um, I, I still so very strongly recommend doing a triple feature of all of Grismer's films. Do the the Bride, Scalpel, and then Blood Rage, mm. and and you won't regret it. It's, it's what I did the other day. It's, also, any of the uh, any of the movies that I paired with Basket Case in Jest, uh, <laughs> like Stuck on You, uh, <laughs> any movie it's about. Uh, the movie Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito obviously pair very well with this. Uh, Robert Woods posted in the chat, malignant question mark, and yeah, I I would say so. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, Why not? Yeah, I mean, especially because malignant is also one of those like on its surface feels like one kind of movie, but at its core is a very different movie, and I, yeah, I I think that it definitely works. It's also a good combination of classy and trashy. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, just about any uh, slasher. I think that it would work well with just about any sort of um, uh, like, you know, substance abuse or like depression and anxiety, psychological drama. I think that would work well with. I mean, I'd definitely pair it with sleepaway camp just because of the, yeah. the psychological <laughs> that's going on. Yeah. Sleepaway camp actually is probably the slasher. It is most closely linked to i would yeah. say in terms of tone and style yeah but it's such and, a smarter movie wtf endings <laughs> <laughs> that's true but uh um blood rage has an emotional wtf ending whereas sleepaway camp has hey look the penis ending there's mm-hmm. some emotion there's some emotion in sleepaway camp there, there's there a, is there's there is some emotion but the thing that hits you in the face at the end of sleepaway camp is not just like a gut-wrenching emotional oh my god moment like in blood rage That's sleepaway fair. camp is just what what is going on why what what is happening so it is yeah, a different kind of camp reaction is just frying your brain yep all right. Speaking of fried brains, uh, it is getting late. 
Dan, where do you want people to find you? Uh, you can find me over at my website, HBO to front row.com and on Twitter at HBO to front row. And Eric, where can they find you and uh, your twin brother, who is also you with worse hair? Uh, you can find us listening to uh, George Burns solo <laughs> single. Uh, I wish I was 18 again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm just like looking at uh, George God. Burns still. And he literally had a uh, number 93 uh, chart topping single. I wish I was 18 again. Sure. I have to listen to the song. Uh, I am on uh, Twitter at the Chimerican. T H E C H I M E R I C A N. I am also on uh, uh, Instagram <laughs> at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. You know what? We didn't even really get into it with this episode in terms of, uh, like, despite the fact that we were taking a break from Thanksgiving, how much of this movie actually pairs well with the various Hanks movies that we've been talking about so far with uh, like cloud Atlas of playing multiple roles and with punchline of having the uh, two dual movies happening concurrently that do affect each other, Mm. but like feel like they are completely separate. And uh, with, with the burbs where, you know, you think one thing is happening, but it's really the other thing. But in reality, it really was the thing that you thought that it was. Uh, So yeah, and and you never leave the cul-de-sac essentially and you never That's leave the yeah. neighborhood drive this film never leaves that complex yep and it's even gonna pair well with my thanksgiving pick of joe versus the volcano of just some of that existential dread and anxiety and how do you cope with things so man now i'm, I'm wondering what blood rage would be like if that was tom hanks in the lead role <laughs> has he ever played twins before he's been in a slasher before literally his yeah. first move, movie I mean, he's just like one scene whatever i don't think he's, he's ever played twins or anything like that but he did play the different characters six times mm-hmm. in uh in cloud atlas that is true all right you can follow me slash the podcast on facebook twitter instagram and letterboxd at video monster pod you can also follow me personally on letterboxd at the gargoyle that is g-a-r-g-y-l-e because it is a gargoyle wearing an argyle sweater and if you enjoyed this episode and want to keep coming back for more of our thanksgiving uh the series just do a search for video monsters wherever you get your podcasts like subscribe leave those comments tell your friends share the podcast share the love and uh keep coming back for more of our over analysis of uh, movies that maybe weren't trying to do as much as we think that they were trying to do. But you know what? Much like Freud and his interpretation of dreams, where sometimes it's just like the neurons in the brain just winding down and, and your conscience trying to make sense of things that don't actually matter. We like to overanalyze movies and we are just those misfiring neurons finding connections that don't actually exist. But who the f- cares because we have fun with it. Just like dreams. It was lovely, Nathan. Right, wasn't it? Beautiful. You need to come great. back for more of uh, this level of insight. And after we finish up our Thanksgiving series, uh, we do have another episode uh, coming up, which is going to be uh, sort of an offshoot it's still going to be under the uh the uh, video monsters podcast um but we're going to be doing some board game reviews 
but very specifically tying them into movies. So think of it like if Video Monsters were an 80s, 90s uh, video store and you came in to rent a movie such as Blood Rage and, you know, what board game or card game would we suggest to go with that? Uh, so it's going to be something like that, where we are going to be talking about uh, various movies and then movies that would, or, uh, then games that would pair well with them. And we're kicking things off with Back to the Future. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the Back to the Future Back in Time board game, which directly ties into the movie, obviously. Other episodes are going to be things that are more loosely connected or just kind of tied to theme. Um, but yeah, those are going to be our cardboard monsters episodes. Uh, so still movie related. At some point, there might be uh, another spinoff podcast, but those are going to be much less frequent episodes. So uh, for the time being, they're still just going to be a part of Video Monsters. And then we have our Hellbender review coming up which uh, is a movie that uh, that I caught at the Knoxville Horror Film Festival. Dan and Eric, unfortunately, were not able to uh, to be there for that screening. But we are going to be giving this movie the full Video Monsters treatment because I think that it deserves it. And I cannot wait for us to talk about it. So look forward to some Hellbender coverage coming up. And then we are moving in to our December series, which is Marriage and Xmas. And, and we're, we're talking about Generation X movies. Yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. So many of them to talk about. So the, too many of them to talk about. When you said marriage in Xmas, it sounded like you said marriage in Xmas <laughs> for a second. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't know what. It's like, that's not what we discussed. <laughs> uh, no, see, what I meant was like Mary Gen Xmas. Um, where we're all just going to get drunk on Jen and uh, talk about movies from the 90s. That would lead to some interesting episodes. Um, yeah, we should probably end yeah. things. We're rambling. So that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. Not Dan. And uh, remember, kids, that's not cranberry sauce. That is not cranberry sauce. A joke so twice that Terry said it twice. <laughs> you say, said he twice. said it three times. I meant he literally in a row. He, oh, in okay. one scene, said, that's not cranberry sauce. That is not cranberry sauce. He's just, like, so amused with himself. Yeah. No, he, he said it four times. And I think that I mentioned this during that's the last episode. Joke. I think that I mentioned this during the last episode, but I'm mentioning it again now. That is just like what a little kid would do where they said something funny and someone laughed once and then they're like, I'm going to keep saying the same joke over and over and over. (laughs) This pleases me. There is so much about this movie that I'm like, yep, I do not care if Grismer said directly from his mouth, this movie is nothing what you are saying. Nothing is going to convince me that this movie is not about uh, arrested development of uh, two twins that suffered a trauma at the age of eight and how they dealt with it for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Good night, everybody. I'm just going to, I'm just going to really try and keep Nathan from finishing the episode to give him as much <laughs> editing as possible. <clears throat>